0: together. Uh, speaking of that, I want you to look at your life right now as we get into 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm going to share a couple thoughts out of 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Uh, but I want you to think about your life. I want you to reflect. How, have, how has the Lord grown you in your life? or What things has the Lord used in your life to grow you? Now, hopefully you have grown in your relationship with the Lord since you started following Jesus. But, but what has the Lord used? Who has the Lord used to grow you as a follower of Jesus? And I saw Josh over here look at his fiancée, Emily, as soon as I said that. And so that was a very good move, my brother, that you would point her out, like saying, the Lord has used you in my life. So keep, oh, she said it to you first, nice. Who has the Lord brought into your life? What has he done to challenge you, to grow you as his follower? I was thinking about my life this week and just kind of reflecting as I was looking at these verses from 1 Thessalonians 4. And I thought of my life, and if you put up, Mallory, that first uh, slide, just with the circle. If you look at your your life, you can see that there's just so many things that that God can use to, to change us, to grow us. First of all, I would say, and these are in no particular order. First of all, I would say that God God has used in my life the very Word of God to transform me, to change me. I remember uh, as a sixth uh, grader uh, growing up in Southern California, I got into this habit. Nobody told me to do it. For some reason, I just got into this habit of reading about a chapter of Scripture every night before I went to bed. And I remember going through just scripture and just being like, wow, God, you are using this uh, in my life. And frankly, even to this day, it is one of the highlights of my day, if not the highlight of my day, just to spend time in the word. But it's not just spending time in the word, reading a bunch of verses. It is about who the word points to, and that's Jesus and the gospel. And seeing in my life how God has used the gospel, God has used the love of Jesus to transform me. And I am just blown away by how, he, how that has happened throughout my life. The second thing I would say is, is the way that God has changed me and transformed me is through uh, just prayer and through this fact that we can have a relationship, that I can have a relationship with God, and it's not just one of me talking to Him, but of Him communicating with me in this back-and-forth time of me sharing my heart with Him, but also listening to Him. I mean, this is, this is why Jesus died so that we could be reconciled to the Father, so that we can have a relationship with God the Father, so that any time I go through things in my life or you go through things in your life, we can pour out our hearts before him and just tell him exactly how we feel. But then lastly, I would say, God has brought people into my life, people who are of all different varieties into my life, and God has used them in my life in powerful ways, and many of them are sitting in this room right now. God has used you in my life to speak words of encouragement to me, speak words of challenge to me. Uh, God has used the people of God in my life of all different types. And this has all been fueled by the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit has been working in my life, God has changed me in this way. Now, here's the thing. God has worked in my life through those different areas. And there are so many more that we can include. And it's not just like I started with the word and it led to prayer and and then it went to people. No, God has used me, he's used people in my life and that has, uh, that has transformed me and changed me and it has increased my prayer time. And so in this cycle, you can hop on at any given point. But the truth is God is a good father is after our transformation, after our change. But I look at this and there's one thing missing. God has done this over time using different events in my life, using triumphs in my life and different successes, but also different tragedies in my life. Everything drawing me closer to himself. If I'm honest, though, that last circle is one that I don't like. Because we want it to happen right now. We want it to happen instantly. But this morning, I want to remind us of the truth that we see in 1 Thessalonians 4, and this verse is not up on the screen, that this is God's will for your life your sanctification. As a follower of Jesus, God's will for your life is that we would continue to be transformed more and more into the likeness of his son, Jesus. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. Paul is is writing to these group of believers that are new in their faith, and he says this at the very end of his letter. He says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, And may your whole spirit and your soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I want to read that one more time. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you or change you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Paul says, may the God God himself, God of peace himself, sanctify you completely. That's the first thing. May he sanctify you completely. May he bring about this this total transformation in your life. Paul was speaking to those in Thessalonica, and they had already undergone this huge transformation where their heart was open to the gospel, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and they were transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're living their lives as an example to many believers in the area. In fact, people were looking at them and pointing to them as an example of what it looked like to live a life of faith and a life of love. They are already living it. And, and Paul is saying to them, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May he bring about more and more change. I mean, the, the truth is, as followers of Jesus, when we say yes to Jesus, we, when we surrender our life to Jesus and put our faith in him, we become the sons, sons and daughters of God. We're restored into relationship, we're redeemed, we're holy, we're righteous, all because of the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. That is who we are from the very minute we say yes to Jesus, and that doesn't change. And I just wonder, in this room, I mean, this is the first step in a relationship with Jesus. I wonder in this room, have you said yes to Jesus? Have you opened up your heart to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus and therefore becoming a son and daughter of God, being brought into that relationship with Him. The only way to be reconciled to God the Father is through faith in Jesus. That is our our first step. But that's not the only step. From then on, it's a life of living our life with Jesus, walking with Jesus, being transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus. And this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5. He's saying, "...may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely." And I just want to remind or tell some of you in this room, what is the sanctification that we're talking about? Here's a definition of sanctification. It's the process by which God transforms our lives into the image of Jesus. It's the process by which God transforms our lives into the image of Jesus, and this is a lifelong process. And that word process is one that I do not like, and probably you don't like, because we want to be instantly changed. We don't want to go through that process, but God himself is bringing us through that process. And that is the beautiful thing. God says this is what he wants to do in our life. This is his will for our lives, is that we would be changed from the inside out. But the beautiful thing is it is God himself who does this. God, the creator. God, the one who created every one of us. God, the one who saved us through his son Jesus. God, the one who knows us better than we know ourselves. He will do this work himself. It says, now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. And this peace that is Paul's talking about is not this inner feeling of tranquility. It's the peace, it's the life that God created us to live. Because God is all about us experiencing life and life abundantly. All throughout the Old Testament, he's desiring his people would follow him so that they might experience life. And so, God's transformational work in our life is all about bringing life. To our life. That's a lot of life that I just said there. But God is for us. God is a good father who wants us to experience life and life to the full. And the beautiful thing about God is he doesn't just start a project and get halfway done or halfway into it and be like, okay, I'm done. No, he's faithful to complete it. Look at the end of that verse. It says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do this. He will surely bring about this transformation in your life. Last week, Barry got up here and read out of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God is going to be faithful to bring about this transformation in your life. And I can already see as I look at this room, God is already doing and continues to do just such an amazing work. As I look out in many people's lives and the transformation that God is bringing about in your life and the change that we're seeing, I could go person to person to person and say God is bringing about a supernatural, unbelievable change in your life. God is faithful to do that. And how does he do this? I think it's clear in this this verse. He does it from the inside out, starting with our spirit, the soul, and body. See, I think the temptation for us So often is to start on the outside, is to maybe improve our behavior in in a way or two. But God is always after our heart. God is always after the inside. Jesus is always concerned about our heart and actually uh, went after some people who are like, you clean up the outside, but you don't clean up the heart. Jesus said, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. And so God is all about transforming our lives from the inside out. And he's going to be faithful to do it. My challenge for us this morning is, is this the cry of our heart? Is this the desire of our heart? That, that God, would you transform me? Would you shape me? Would you continue to do this work in my life where I'm becoming more and more like your son Jesus every single day? That I'm not the person I was yesterday or the day before, but every day I'm growing in my relationship with Jesus. Is this the desire of your heart? God, you're a God of peace. Would you work inside of me? Would you transform me and those around me? But as I look at that verse, I start to have the question of, okay, God, this is great. You're going to do this work. You're you're about changing lives. But what role do I have to play in that?" What part do I play? Do I just kick up my feet and relax? Do I just sit back and be like, okay, I'm all good. God's going to do the work. I'm just going to kind of coast. So I thought about that question. I thought about Zacchaeus in Luke 19. You guys know the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a good Sunday school people right there. That's good. The wee little man was he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Yeah, we're In Sunday school taught to make fun of small people, I guess. But here is Zacchaeus, a tax collector, not even a tax collector, chief tax collector. He was a chief of thieves. Stole money. He was had a whole gang around him that was stealing money. And Jesus comes to his house and his life is transformed. His life is completely transformed to the point where he's like, Jesus, I'm gonna give back four times what I stole. I'm gonna give it all back and I'm gonna to give to the poor. But how was Zacchaeus' life changed? It was changed by Jesus. But there was something that I was drawn to in verse 3 of chapter 19 of Luke was Zacchaeus' life. It said that he there were so many people around, and he was couldn't see Jesus because he was short, because he was small. And it said in night in, in verse 3, in Luke 19, verse 3, it says Zacchaeus climbed up into the tree. Why? Because he was seeking. To see who Jesus was. It is true that only Jesus could transform the heart of Zacchaeus. But Zacchaeus put himself in a position to be transformed by Jesus. He got up into that tree. And I wonder what would have happened if he didn't get up into that tree. But he got up into the tree. He was seeking after Jesus. And I think that is the very thing that we need to be doing in our lives. That is the role that we have to play. God alone transforms our heart. But we can put ourselves in a position to be transformed by Jesus. I think of Joseph of Arimathea, whose tomb was given to Jesus after he died. And it says this about Joseph of Arimathea, that he was one who was seeking the kingdom of God. I love that. I want that to be true of all of us, that we would be seekers of the kingdom of God. But again, I ask the question, like, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to do that in 2022? And I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19, and I just want to read this story as a a challenge to us as we move forward over the next couple weeks. This is a a popular story, a famous story. You probably have heard it before. It's a story of Elijah, and Elijah had just seen a miraculous move of God where fire came down from heaven, where this altar that he had built with a calf on top of it, which he doused with, with water, was just, boom, just torched and the water all around it got sucked up. And so Elijah had seen just the miraculous move of God. And this is the next chapter and it says this, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, which resulted in the prophets of Baal, false prophets being killed. And now how he had killed all the prophets with a the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he rose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Now that always throws me, because here was Elijah who saw God move in a powerful way, and now he's hearing that his life is on the line and he gets afraid. afraid. Fear always like magnifies the problem. And so Elijah, instead of magnifying who God is, he magnifies like, oh no, my life is, is threatened. And so he's afraid and he runs. Verse 4 says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now. Oh, Lord, take o Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again in a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. It just blows me away that as he's at a low point, wanting just to give up his life, God sends an angel to nourish him. It goes on and says, There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek to seek to take my life to take it away. So there he's just complaining. Oh, woe is me. Elijah just like complaining, just like wham, wah, wah. And he said, go out. God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold, the Lord passed by. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I love and hate this picture because we want the Lord to appear in the fire. We want the Lord to appear in the big, mighty rushing wind. We want the Lord to appear in the mighty earthquake. And and you know what? Sometimes he does that. But here in this passage is such a challenge to you and to me that the Lord appears in a low whisper. Another phrase says it this way in the thin silence. And I wonder as we put ourselves in a position to be transformed by the Lord, are we putting ourselves in the position, are we able to hear the quiet whisper of the Lord? Really the, the challenge for us is are our lives quiet enough? Are your life is your life and is your is my life quiet enough? To hear the low whisper of the Lord. Or is our life filled with noise? I was driving home from Ann Arbor a couple weeks ago and Zane and I went to see Purdue versus Michigan play and I was driving home and Zane was asleep in the the seat next to me. And I was on the phone with with somebody here at Restoration and, and we were just talking about a desire to see God come in a powerful way. And This person was asking me the question, are you really just open to anything happening? And, you know, just turning the the service over to the Lord. And I'm like, I told this person, I said, I am absolutely willing to do that whenever the Lord speaks. And then I said this, I said, I just wish he would speak louder. I wish he would shout. And as soon as I said that, the feeling that I had, and it could have been from staying up late the night before, But the feeling that I had was this in my heart. You want me to speak louder? Why don't you get quieter? And it hit me as Zane's sleeping over here. It's like, wow, my life is so filled with noise, so filled with like constant chatter. Is my heart getting into a position where it's quiet enough where I can hear the low whisper of the Lord? Hebrews 12 says... It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. But it says, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entails and let us fix our eyes on Jesus. In the next couple of weeks, we'll talk about the sin that can, can uh, entrap our lives. We'll get to that on, on April 10. But that phrase, throw off what hinders. I just think about it. Like There are so many things that come into our life that hinder us in our relationship with the Lord that give us the inability to hear the low whisper of the Lord. I know it's true in my life. There's just so much noise all around us. There's so much noise in our world. There's so much noise in my own life, in the busyness of my own schedule. There's so much noise in my soul of the expectations that I have of myself and, and, and what I think other people have. There's so much noise in our life, so much busyness, so much hurry that gets in the way of you and I hearing this low whisper of the Lord. Dallas Willard, who is a psychologist, a follower of Jesus, written many books, he said this. He said, when it comes to following Jesus, our spiritual lives, he says this in regards to the greatest enemy to our spiritual life. He says, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And then after that, he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, if I was asked what is the greatest spiritual enemy in our day, I don't know if I would have said hurry. I might have said politics. I might have said greed. I might have said sexual immorality. I might have listed a bunch of other things. But the more I thought about this phrase, the more I thought about his quote, and I looked at my life, and the times when I'm the most open to sin, the times when I'm filled with the most doubt, the times when I can get discouraged, the time when I'm at, at my weakness weakest, It's those moments when my life has been so busy and so hurried that I'm just, I'm just exhausted, and it made me think. You know what? He's a lot smarter than me. First of all, so I should pay attention. But he is right. The greatest enemy of our spiritual life in our day is is hurry. So we must ruthlessly eliminate it. It Goes on to say that there's so many things under hurry that that uh, there's so many things that hurry causes. That it's the issue under anger and mental illness and anxiety and isolation. And there's so much that, that hurry produces in our life. To the point where another smart person who came up with all these personality tests said this, hurry isn't of the devil, hurry is the devil. Hmm. We used to think like the devil is one in red and a pitchfork and all of that stuff. But I tend to think like hurry getting our lives so busy that we're not in touch, our souls aren't in touch with our Creator, that this is accurate. This hurried pace isn't of the devil, it is the devil. And Corey ten Boom, the Dutch saint who rescued people from the, the Nazis, the hands of the Nazis, said this, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. Now, I think the question that we have is what is busyness? Because I think there is a healthy busyness. I think, there is a, I think Jesus was busy. I think there's a, a healthy busyness of living a life intentionally, pouring our lives out for the sake of others, living our lives, working hard with our hands. I, I think there is this healthy busyness of, of, of being productive in our lives. Like I said, Jesus was, was purposeful. He was busy. He would walk around, and he would touch people's lives, and he was, he was not lazy just kicking back with his, his feet up. But I also think there's this unhealthy busyness. And unhealthy busyness isn't when you have a lot to do, it's when you have too much to do. And the only way to, to keep up is to hurry from one thing to the next and so you are not present with anybody at any moment. There's an inability to be present with other people and present with God. And I know, I've experienced this, how many of us have had a conversation with somebody and they're talking and then you kind of pinch yourself. You're like, I have no idea what this person has been saying. And they've been talking for a while because you're thinking about all the things that you have to do. There's a hurried pace that we live at that makes us makes it difficult for us to be present with others and present with God. And so John Ortberg said this about busyness. He gave this description. He says, busyness, up on the ne- up, next slide, Mallory, or hurry is not a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. And so I wonder, how often... Are we being transformed, not by the Lord, but by our busyness in our world? We are being transformed every single day. Whether we like it or not, we are being changed every single day. We're being transformed. We're becoming a better version of ourselves, or are we becoming a worse version of ourselves? And I just have to wonder, who or what is transforming us? And the solution that I found, the solution that I'm working on isn't to come up with more time because if we have more time, we'll just fill it doing more stuff. The solution is this, is Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As followers of Jesus, this is is not just a nice little verse to to put on a t-shirt. This is an invitation on how to live our lives. That in the, the hustle and bustle of our life, there is a beautiful invitation from the one who saved us, the one who wants to transform us, to come to him every single day. To come to him, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, to come to him and say, here I'm finding rest for my souls. Would you transform me from the inside out? But how often do we push things apart, away from our schedules, and say, you know what, I'm going to take this invitation from the King of kings and the Lord of lords and sit with him and be with him. There is a beautiful invitation, an invitation to life and life abundantly. I'm going to share one last quote with you. It's from John Ortberg, and he said this. He says, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. And how we actually live them is starting from the inside out. To seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness to respond positively to Jesus' invitation to come to him. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to explore ways to do that. We're going to explore and give opportunities for you to, to practice this in your day-to-day life. And so next week, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. Giddy up. People are like, yay, fasting. We're going to talk about fasting. And then we're going to give opportunity for us to practice, put this into practice. On March 30th, we're going to have a day of prayer and fasting that will culminate in a time of worship here on that Wednesday at 7 p.m. On April 3rd, we're going to talk about meditation. What do we fill our minds with? And we're going to invite you to, to memorize Scripture, to fill your heart and your soul with Scripture. On April 10, we're going to talk about confession. And we're going to talk about sin and, and the beauty of confession and what is confession. We're going to hear testimonies of, of the power of confession and give you actually opportunities to confess your sins to one another. Yay. April 15th is Good Friday. We're going to come together for a worship service with Bethel and have communion. And then we're going to t- talk about celebration on Easter Sunday on April 17th and more going into the end of April and May. But here's the thing. You might think, oh, Dave, that's a lot of religious activity. But here's the point. It's religious activity if you're just going to do the thing that we're going to be talking about. But all of these are opportunities to grow in our relationship with God. It's not religious activity. It's an opportunity to get to know God further because there are things in my life that I have to let go, that I have to fast from, so that I leave space for the Lord to speak into my life. There is an invitation. And so I want to invite us now... I would love for your attention to be up on the screen. And I just want to use these words on, that are on the screen to invite you, to invite you to settle your soul, to invite you to give space for Jesus to speak, to, pre, to invite you to respond to his invitation, to come to him, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, and he will give you rest for your soul.